Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The way oil prices are set flies against all of the basic principles of the free market. Sure, when there's a glut of oil in the market, prices go down. And when there's a shortage or even the risk of a shortage, prices go up. But the supply of oil is largely controlled by what's happening in geopolitics, and specifically, what's happening between oil-producing countries. And look what the president tweeted about OPEC first thing this morning. Here we go. Looks like OPEC is at it again, with record amounts of oil all over the place. On Tuesday, Brent crude, which is a benchmark for oil prices, fell below $63 a barrel. Just last month, that same barrel was $86. So what's causing these big swings in oil prices? This is Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keene. Today on the show, the oil sell-off explained. Hey, Anjali, where are you right now? Where are you talking to me from? Uh, hi, Amy. I'm sat at my desk in front of a terminal with oil prices moving every which way, and I'm at my desk just about to file a story. Anjali Raval is the senior energy correspondent at the FT. So I started covering the energy sector in 2014, and it was just as oil prices started falling. The world hasn't seen such a drop in crude oil prices for a long time. So it was a bit of a trial by fire, really. But it was super interesting at the time because OPEC became a story again. Oil prices dropped again yesterday after the OPEC cartel decided not to cut production levels. After years of oil prices staying relatively close to $100 a barrel and uh, things were pretty much the same. And then it was 2014 when everything kicked off. Tuesday's drop was the biggest for a single day in two years. Okay, let's start with a very basic question about how oil prices are actually set. Can you explain? So crude production by OPEC, which stands for the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, is a big factor that impacts oil prices. So historically, countries such as Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela, Iraq, Nigeria and other big producers, they would all come together to actively manage production and they would set targets. And so depending on what prices were doing, countries would reduce their production or increase their production to keep prices where they would essentially like them. Bear in mind, these countries, particularly countries such as Saudi Arabia, relies hugely on oil export revenues to keep these economies afloat. And so at the moment, OPEC countries produce about a third of the world's crude. And in the past, they've tried to maintain their market share and they've tried to influence international oil prices. 
And people particularly keep a close eye on the actions of Saudi Arabia, which is OPEC's largest producer. So you start covering oil and gas around 2014 during the U.S. shale boom. What's happening at this point? So there was a period of time when huge amounts of U.S. shale production that was coming on after the boom in the U.S. started essentially to coincide with a little bit of demand weakness in Asia. In the last two years, U.S. production of oil has, thanks to the shale boom, risen 1.3 million barrels a day. That's equivalent to the entire production of Libya. The big OPEC producers such as Saudi Arabia were having to contend with this new source of supply. And it was at the end of 2014 when the then Saudi oil minister, Ali al-Naimi, made a decision that OPEC would not be cutting its production to support the oil market. In the headlines, OPEC decides to keep its oil output steady, taking no action to ease a global supply glut. Oil prices continue falling. So the U.S. starts to emerge as a big new source of supply and now has to work alongside this group of oil producers. What happened next? So after Saudi Arabia essentially decided that OPEC would not cut production to essentially keep prices up for the benefit of other producers, such as the US or Russia or others, there was a real period where prices became extremely volatile and they collapsed all the way in 2016 to below $30 a barrel. And this is the internationally traded Brent crude. Well, it's been an ugly start to the week on markets, and that's because of a big renewed fall in the oil prices. Now, oil prices plunged to below $30 a barrel in early trade, the lowest level in 12 years, as oversupply and dollar strength concerns deepen. And what this essentially did was force the minds of these big producers to work together. They... Their economies really suffered. State oil companies really suffered. And even listed oil and gas companies such as BP, Shell, and a whole bunch of others, their balance sheets completely took a battering. And it was in 2016 that the producers such as Saudi Arabia and all the other OPEC countries actually began to come together with Russia, with the backing of, at that time, the deputy crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, who is now the crown prince and heir to the throne. And he backed this process to start a dialogue with Russia. And a dialogue began to talk about production cuts. Uh, The kingdom was very much aware that it alone could not boost the oil market. And so it relied on help from Russia, which is another one of the biggest oil producers in the world. And so since 2016 and 2017 was when these production cuts that were agreed among global producers came into effect and prices started really going a lot higher. Crude oil prices have pushed above a critical level and many investors are betting they will keep on climbing in the near future. And then we start to hear reports that the U.S. might take a harder line against Iran. I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. 
the Trump administration starts announcing economic sanctions. Anjali, what did this do to oil prices? So there was a big concern that these big supply curbs from global producers would coincide with a lot less supply from Iran if the U.S. sanctioned oil exports. And this would then create a shortage in the market. And this is what everyone was looking at. You could see big consumer countries such as India complaining about how high oil prices had gotten. We need a reasonable price. We need a responsible price. $70 is uh, too high for Indian market. And this is when you saw Donald Trump start tweeting incessantly about OPEC coming to, you know, essentially rescue the oil market and making sure it put enough barrels on the market. And uh, producers came together and said, "Okay, we're going to relax these oil supply curbs that have been in place since the start of 2017. And Saudi Arabia pledged to raise production all the way up to maybe even 11 million barrels a day. And they kind of came together over that period of time. So this tweet that came over the weekend, the president saying that he spoke to King Salman of Saudi and he explained that the turmoil in Iran and Venezuela was causing him to ask that the Saudis, quote, increase oil production, maybe up to two million barrels to make up the difference. Price is too high. He has agreed. But what's happened since then is extremely interesting. So when the sanctions took effect, earlier on this month, what the U.S. also did was issue waivers to big buyers of Iranian oil. We have decided to grant narrow and temporary waivers that permit the continuation of three non-proliferation projects currently underway. And we're talking about countries such as India, China, and a whole load of others, which meant that the market was sort of caught by surprise because they weren't expecting as many waivers to be issued. These waivers being what was given out by the U.S. to essentially allow some countries to continue to buy Iranian crude oil. And now there was a concern that, okay, so you've seen OPEC countries relax the supply curbs, and now you've got all these waivers. And it could now mean there's a little bit too much oil in the market. So going into December now, which is the next formal meeting of oil ministers in Vienna, there's a lot of talk about reenacting supply curbs again and taking as much as 1 million or 1.4 million barrels off the market. Right, to get oil prices back up. Anjali, there is a fair bit of fear among investors right now that we're headed into a period of slower economic growth globally. That could obviously hit oil prices. What is the near-term outlook for the stability of oil? So the December meeting is particularly interesting because you want to see how the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Russia, which has formed this oil alliance, how that fares essentially over the next few months. You've seen a little bit of tension already because certain Russian oil producing companies have said, look, we don't want to curb our supply anymore. So I think what will end up happening is that Russia will get on board with another deal to curb production. And essentially Saudi Arabia won't be listening to Donald Trump because the kingdom has been burned by the U.S. already. The kingdom was hoping that the U.S. would issue the strictest oil sanctions on Iran, which is its arch enemy in the region. And instead, while the kingdom was asked to raise its oil production, it was also 
hit with these new round of waivers for big oil consumer countries too. I doubt very much that the kingdom will be listening to any more requests from President Donald Trump for producers to be increasing their supply. Right. So one thing we can't neglect in all of this is a name that you mentioned, and that's the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman. He has, of course, come under increasing pressure from world leaders in the wake of the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. How does the sentiment about Saudi Arabia, about the de facto leader himself, what does that mean for the significance of oil within the kingdom? The reason why it's particularly relevant is around foreign investor sentiment towards Saudi Arabia. So if, for example, there is a lot of uncertainty about investing in Saudi, it means the kingdom itself is reliant on its oil revenues more than ever. It has to rely on its own source of income, even though oil is essentially the old Saudi Arabia. It's not this kind of forward-looking, futuristic, technology-driven kingdom that Mohammed bin Salman wants to create. So this is another reason why Saudi Arabia needs to prop up oil prices higher, because the higher oil prices are, the more funds go into government coffers. And that in particular is, is looked at. There was some concern when the whole Khashoggi killing came into the news was um, about whether or not Saudi Arabia would use oil as a weapon, particularly if you know the country was sanctioned in any way. And there was a concern that Saudi Arabia might withhold supplies to certain countries and that, that sort of thing. But that has been ruled out by the energy minister. The kingdom has probably been burned by using oil as a weapon in, in decades past. And I don't think they would like, they'd like to do that again. Uh, we put out a statement on Saudi Arabia, which I guess most of you have seen. On Tuesday, U.S. President Donald Trump spoke to reporters. It was just after the White House had issued a statement on Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, if we broke with them, I think your oil prices would go through the roof. I've kept them down. They've helped me keep them down. And despite the sense of global censure about the way the Saudi government had handled the Khashoggi killing, Donald Trump made a statement that the U.S. would be a steadfast supporter of the kingdom. And I'm not going to tell a country that's spending hundreds of billions of dollars and has helped me do one thing very importantly, keep oil prices down so that they're not going to $100 and $150 a barrel. Right now, we have oil prices in great shape. I'm not going to destroy the world economy, and I'm not going to destroy the economy for our country by being foolish with Saudi Arabia. So I think the statement, wait a minute, I think the statement uh, was pretty obvious what I said. It's about America first, yeah. So Anjali, we tend to focus on the incremental swings in oil prices, what sends it higher, what drags it down. And there are, of course, big economic implications for those moves. But I wonder if there is a bigger theme that you've observed recently in your reporting. You know, particularly in the energy sector today, there is such a big focus now on the energy transition towards cleaner fuels. This is all about moving the world away from fossil fuels towards cleaner forms of energy, particularly as the world tries to curb climate change, but also air pollution in the world's cities. But what I would say is that the world still needs huge amounts of oil and gas, and it will do for decades to come. 
And so what's really interesting to me, and I like to look at these types of stories that really take, a, take account of the energy security question together with the environmental question or the climate change question, and also what that means for costs for a lot of the big consumer countries, because it's sort of all these things are coming into play altogether. So even though we're looking at oil prices going up, down, sideways on a day-to-day basis, the longer term story is really in flux and it's really unclear how that plays out. Thanks, Anjali. You can read more from Anjali at FT.com. And let us know what you think of the show. You can leave us a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can send us an email to behindthemoney at FT.com. We may not respond to you right away, but do know that we read every email. And if you're not already a subscriber of the FT and would like to become one, visit FT.com forward slash offer to check out our latest new subscriber offer. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.